Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 5. You can find it in your pew Bible on page 1376. Hebrews chapter 5. And we'll read the entire chapter. As we've noticed, uh, this theme of high priests is being sprinkled out throughout uh, the the epistle to the Hebrews and how Christ is the ultimate perfect high priest. And we could be greatly encouraged also at the end of chapter 4 that he is our compassionate high priest. And uh, today we turn to Hebrews 5. It'll begin a more full explanation of that that continues on through Hebrews um, 9 especially and uh, Hebrews 7 picks up on it again. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5 today. So let us hear God's holy word as it comes to us. Hebrews 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this he is required as for the people, and so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. He also bless the exposition of it. Dear congregation, as we are reminded of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we recognize that God in times past, in various ways, spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by His Son. His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. His Son, by whom He has made the world's. 
His Son who is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the very word of His power. It was His Son who has received all power and dominion both in heaven and upon earth when He had Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then He goes on to say, having become so much better than. And we've been looking at that for weeks already. He's become so much better than any mediator of the Old Testament. He's become so much better than the angels. Better than Moses. Better than Joshua. We hear in our text today in Hebrews chapter 5, better than Aaron. Better than Melchizedek. And why is this emphasis of Jesus Christ being a better mediator or a better kingly priest emphasized here in our passage. Well, we remember who the Hebrews Hebrews were that this was written to. They were Jewish Christians sprinkled throughout. And particularly, these Christians, these Jewish Christians, were impacted by Judaism. Those who wanted to hold on to all of the Old Testament teachings and rituals and worship. And so what arguments would the author to the Hebrews want to present to these Jewish Christians to answer the very questions that they were wrestling with? Certainly, they have, he has to show that Jesus is better than, superior to angels, Moses, Joshua. But also, if he's going to bring out that Jesus is a greater than Aaron or Melchizedek, he's got to show that he indeed was qualified to be a priest. And what arguments would these Jewish Christians be wrestling with? If the author to Hebrews is writing that Jesus is the new royal priest, the, the, the high priest, the great high priest, he has to be qualified for it. In other words, he has to be appointed by God for this work in a Jewish Christian's mind. And furthermore, he has to be skillful and compassionate in his calling. And he has to follow the right pedigree. Now, the author to Hebrews has been showing that indeed he has been appointed by God. Indeed, we have a compassionate high priest. But does he have the right pedigree? Is he from the right lineage? Is he from the house of Aaron? And the answer is no. Jesus was of the lineage of David, not of the house of Aaron. And so this created questions within the Jewish Christians, especially prompted by the Judaizers. And so the author to Hebrews here needs to establish that Christ is the ultimate perfect high priest. And he argues from the lesser to the greater. The lesser being Aaron. The greater than being Melchizedek. And even the greatest being the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a perfect and suitable eternal high priest mediator for us who believe in Him. And three things become clear in our text. Christ as our perfect high priest first of all, encourages believers, secondly, enriches believers, and thirdly, engages believers. First of all, he encourages believers. How does he do so? 
as he sets the perfect high priest before us. In the first four verses, what we recognize here is that Jesus is qualified even as Aaron was qualified for this priestly work. And the first thing he wants to point out is that he is appointed by God. For every high priest taken from among men. He's separated, called out from among men. And then in verse 4 he says, No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. And so a high priest needs to be appointed by God, needs to be called by God, and cannot take this appointment upon themselves. And the reason for that is a high priest, a true priest, was one who would not want to elevate himself in the eyes of men or God, but was motivated solely on the fact that God has sovereignly appointed him, and out of that appointment he has a desire to honor God and serve men. Without any uh, thought of self-promotion and self-advancement. And that's true then and it's true today. I think of the examples for pastors and elders and deacons. All have to meet the qualifications that we find Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. And all of them point to someone who is humble, someone who does not honor, who does not seek the honor of himself, but the honor of God and seeks to serve men without advancement of personal agendas. That's, that's really what, what we look for in qualifications even today. To know that indeed God has been working in this individual. That's why we have a synod evaluate and various committees of the synod evaluate pastors who are being prepared for ministry. That's why we prayerfully as a congregation consider those who ought to be nominated for elders and deacons in our congregation. But furthermore, they also need to be lawfully called and appointed by God. God Himself has to authorize the ministry of a high priest in the Old Testament and also today. And that's why we have processes. And that's why we have calling. That's why we have nomination. And that's why as office bearers, when we become an office bearer in the church, we... we Answer the question, do you believe that you are called by God to take this office? And what an encouragement to the Jewish Christians to know that in the Old, Te in the Old Testament, the Jews had this confidence that, that a high priest was called by God because he was of the right house, of the house of Aaron, to be a Levitical priest. Because there God was clearly appointing them for this office. He promised it in His Word. It encouraged them to have confidence to use the liturgical prescription of the Old Testament and to have confidence and faith in God who prescribed it. And what is then the basis of our faith today? According to the author to Hebrews, it is that God has given us His Son and has spoken now through His Son and has given His Son to be a mediator. A mediator between God and man. And notice in our text here in chapter 5, verse 1, 
that this high priest is taken from among men and is appointed for men. Because this calling and this work is, is very clear. It is to deal with the problem of sin in our society and in our own hearts and in our own lives. The high priest is appointed by God to represent sinners before God. And he does so by, by his gifts and his sacrifices. In particular, we see in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement. And what the idea here is, is, is Jesus Christ is, is a greater than Aaron. He, he is the mediator between God and man. He, he represents man as a man. And his, and his office is to deal with the radical problem of, of sin. To reconcile God and man. Aaron couldn't do that perfectly. All of the Old Testament priests couldn't do so perfectly. But Jesus Christ is qualified to do so perfectly. To be the perfect mediator between God and man. We dealt with that to a great extent in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, and how he needed to be truly man and truly God to, to be this perfect mediator. But this perfect mediator then is a compassionate mediator. A compassionate mediator. To, as a human, to be able to represent humans. Emphasizing the reality of his human nature. To, to be able to identify with us. Notice that in verse 2. And he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he's required as for the people, also for himself, to offer sacrifices of sins. That's for those in the Old Testament. They needed to be compassionate. That was a qualification of being a human priest. To be able to sympathize with others. And even though Jesus didn't have any sinfulness, as the Old Testament priests did, he yet was subject to weakness. And so he could identify with the weakness of humanity. And the challenges of temptations. And therefore, a high priest of the Old Testament would be able to come alongside those who were ignorant and wayward. We recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ can also come alongside because He identifies with us in all things except for sin. He is our perfect, compassionate high priest. And that's what gives us boldness to come to His throne of grace as we could hear of in Hebrews chapter 4. Isn't that an encouragement for believers today? Encouragement to know that the Lord Jesus Christ comes alongside ignorant and wayward believers. No, He doesn't come alongside the rebellious. But He comes alongside those who are ignorant. Those who are wayward. Those who don't yet fully understand and fully grasp. He comes alongside them to gently lead them into all truth and all grace 
You think of his disciples. As John confesses in John 1, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He patiently led us through all of our confusions, through all of our misunderstandings, through all of our waywardness. He led us for three years and taught us for three years. Imagine how much greater the Lord Jesus Christ is than Aaron. Aaron who failed again and again, but Christ never failed. What happened when the people came to Aaron? When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and he delayed coming down from the mountain, they came to Aaron and says, said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as of this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what become of him. And so Aaron, he says to them, bring your golden earrings. And he, he makes gods for them. And they, they party it up and live it up. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Aaron failed. Failed to mediate between God and man. Failed to speak truth. Failed to lead them in truth. What a great encouragement. Christ, who has been appointed by God to be a mediator in truth and grace, has never failed. Not only does this encourage us, but it also enriches us, as we see in our second point. In other words, do you want to know the richness of this encouragement? That we can have this full confidence to come boldly to His throne of grace. Well, the author to Hebrews says, absolutely you can. You can absolutely know that Jesus Christ is greater than Aaron. He's a priest forever. He's qualified to be this priest. Because first of all, He's appointed by God to be an eternal, kingly, high priest. Notice in in verses 5-10 through we have in beginning with the fact that Jesus Christ did not glorify Himself to be a high priest. No, He was appointed by God. God who said, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. And in verse 10, He is called by God as a high priest. He's called by God. He's appointed by God. The Scriptures testify of it, the author to Hebrews says. And he's appointed by God to be an eternal high priest. One that lasts, endures forever. Because he says in another place, you are a priest forever. Not just for a time like Aaron was, but forever and ever. One who will never die. One who will be perfect. One who is not temporary, but eternal. And furthermore, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, this begins a, a discussion about Melchizedek that I, we don't have time to get into this morning, but, but we will get into it in chapter 7. But let me tell you this. For the author writing to the Hebrews, this was like a trump card in the, in the, in, in the argument. Because he goes back even further than Aaron, 
And he says, there was someone who was Melchizedek, who was a royal priest. You can read more of it if you're interested uh, in reading ahead to Hebrews 7, of how Abraham had tied to this kingly priest of Salem, uh, which would likely be Jerusalem at the time. And, and, and it shows us this, that the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just a priesthood of Aaron and of the Levites, but it's a priesthood that is a royal priesthood, as we sang of in Psalm 110. A royal priest forever. A kingly priest. And this would really trump the argument of the Judaizers who says, that, no, it has to be from the house of Aaron. That was not God's only called and appointed high priest. We also think back even further to Melchizedek, who we will look at in future weeks. But that just further enriches the fact of who the Lord Jesus Christ is as appointed by God. And it enriches the fact that Christ is that appointed mediator. Notice how he goes on to say that in verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Oh, how enriching that truth is when we see the weakness of his humanity. We see that indeed as our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ was fully human. Fully human in His humanity. As we find in Isaiah chapter 53, as we looked upon Him, we, we didn't see any beauty or comeliness, no form or comeliness in Him. He's despised by men. He's rejected by man. He's a man of sorrows, a man of grief. He understands the lowest place. He was opposed. He was smitten. He was chastised. He was broken. And in the midst of all of his weakness, he's prepared for the work of intercession for his people. Because there, even in his weakness, he interceded on his own behalf. And so he can have compassion in intercession, even today at the right hand of God. Notice how our text says that. He offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. Our Lord Jesus Christ, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, as He states His soul is sorrowful even to death, as He struggles, as He begins to bear the full wrath of God against our sin, there He cries, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He intercedes in the pain and the suffering, in affliction. And in the affliction of the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he endures our condemnation. He surrenders to his Father as he commits his spirit into the hands of His Father. 
truly. He has borne our griefs. He has carried all our sorrows. He's appointed mediator who identifies with us in the midst of affliction. And now at the right hand of God is interceding for His people no matter what challenge they're going through. Is there any richer truth for you who are bowed down under affliction today than to know Jesus knows what you're going through? And because he knows so intimately and personally, he has fulfilled all righteousness. Everything that God has required of man is fulfilled. There's perfect satisfaction. He's fulfilled all righteousness. And he gives a perfect righteousness and a perfect salvation to all who put their trust in him. Well, for believers, there's nothing more rich in the world than to know that Jesus Christ gives His righteousness so that we may have His eternal salvation. Notice in verse 9, and having been perfected, He become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. His righteousness equals the source of our salvation. What we lost in Adam has been gained in Christ, and He has merited it all. The author of our salvation is the remedy for our disobedience in Adam. Can I ask you, how will you stand before the living God on the day of judgment? How, will you, how do you stand before the throne of God today? How do you stand before His Word as it's open to us today? If God would ask us today, why should you enter into heaven? What would be your answer? It can't be our own righteousness. It can only be the righteousness of the only high priest, a perfect high priest, a perfect mediator who has merited our eternal salvation. What an enriching truth of the gospel. But lastly, we're not content to stay there. Because Christ, our perfect high priest, he engages believers. He engages us. And that's what the author to the Hebrews wants to point out. This high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, which is going to take some explaining to see the, the beauty of it. And we have much to say, he says. And it is hard to explain, but I need to remind you that this truth is going to engage you 
And it must engage you, says the author to Hebrews. I'm not ready to get into that until I waken up your senses because today you're dull of hearing, he says. You'd almost hear if this was a sermon being preached in the church, Jewish Christian church. There, the preacher's senses that the congregation is growing weary. He's sensing that they're dull of hearing. And he stops. He says, this is so important. I have to wake you up. I have to arouse your senses so that you would hear this and believe it and grow through it. This truth engages believers. Notice what he says. Notice what he says the reason for us being dull of hearing is. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need something to teach you again. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. What's the author of Hebrews doing here? He's doing what he's been doing throughout. He sets forth these glorious doctrines and he, he stops where he thinks it's necessary and he says, hear this. Hear this. Just like he said in Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must give the more earnest attention to what we've heard. Diligent heed to what we've heard. Or as he quotes Psalm 95 in Chapters 3 and 4. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Because the Word of God has got to engage us in our life of faith. It has to engage us to to be born again and to have a sincere desire for the milk of the Word. Remember, there's nothing wrong with giving an infant milk. But we also know a healthy child will grow and mature, and so also will a child of God. A child who has been born again will grow in faith and mature as a Christian. That's what the author's point is here. And this is not happening, he says. Because at this time, you ought to be teachers. You no longer ought to be babes in grace. And even though I have to teach you again and again, you need to grow and to be able to digest solid food. Because God grants you teeth to chew on His Word. He gives you a spiritual digestive system to eat the Word of God and to digest it and to grow and to be active in this life of faith as we trust in the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It impacts all of our life. But he's telling them they're childish in their faith. They're like babes who need the milk of the Word. What is an infant? What is a babe? You can hear the rebuke here, can't you? No one likes to be called a baby. 
I remember the rebuke of my dad when he used to say, act your age, not your shoe size. It's not easy to hear such words of being childish, such admonitions. Because we recognize an infant is someone who really doesn't have any intellectual responsibility. They don't engage intellectually at all. Their feelings are what dominate it. And so when a baby is hungry, it just simply cries out because it feels hungry. And so also these Christians, they, they, they were infants in their understanding of Scripture. They would cry out, but they would never be able to take in more than just the milk of the Word. They were like babes. And as babes, they were little used to others. They should have been teachers and be useful in the kingdom of God and to be bringing the Word to others, but now are still babes and need to be taught again. As babes, they had inability to discern. They didn't know how to discern both good and evil. They couldn't discern truth from error. And just because he's calling them childish doesn't mean we don't have childlike faith. As a matter of fact, childishness and childlike are two different things. To be childlike is always the mark of a Christian because he engages them to a childlike faith, a humble dependence upon God, a humble dependence on the means of grace. That God would grant unto them hearing and receiving ears to receive the implanted Word of God into their hearts and into their lives and then be transformed through the renewing of their mind, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, and to be conformed to the image of Christ as, as the Holy Spirit is working in us so that we would learn to be Christ-like. That's what he's calling the Hebrew Jewish Christians too, but also you and me today. To desire to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of His beauty and all of His glory. And to do so in full dependence on God. That means to develop an appetite for His grace. and means to develop an appetite to learn more about Him and to understand Him better. And to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. You see, it takes intellectual engagement. But if you notice throughout the book of Hebrews here, he's, he's not only addressing the heart of the matters, he's also addressing the mind that we also need to be filled with God's, uh, God's Word needs to fill our minds. So often... In our day and age, we think that it's just all about having the right heart and doing the right things and being in a sense Christ-like, but never really knowing what it might be to be Christ-like. To never really have a clear discernment in your mind. To never have that real reason for the hope that lies within us. As we could hear of last week from Brother Bergsma. 
Our minds need to be shaped by the Word of God. So that our hearts would be shaped by the Word of God. So our feet would walk according to the Word of God. So that our hands would be employed to the service of God. And that our mouths would open up to be able to share with others. Isn't that what it means to grow as a child of God? An earthly child begins to grow. Is no longer satisfied with the milk, but needs the food, the real food, the meat, the solid food of God's Word. So that they can be discerning. So that they can learn and to share what they learn with others. To teach others. You can see that in a child, can't you? Four or five year old begins to learn how to tie their shoes and, and they, they get it figured out how to tie their shoe. And pretty quick they're showing all their friends and showing, showing everybody around them, I can tie my shoes. Isn't that what a Christian ought to be like? So excited about the new truths that you learn about Jesus Christ and who He is for you and who He could be for them. To walk alongside those who, who are going through difficulties and share with them the glory of our high priest who knows what we're going through. To disciple people. You see, these truths, they engage us in our life, in our walk with God. Maybe we all can lay ourselves before these scriptures to evaluate our own life. Are we an infant in grace? Praise the Lord if you are. A babe in grace. Because that means there's life. True life given by God for you. And if you're not a babe in grace, you're not even born again. That's a terrible place to be. Because you have no part of this mediator, this royal priest. But if you are, are you satisfied to remain a babe? Are you satisfied to never come to any spiritual maturity? Any confidence of the salvation that Jesus Christ has accomplished for you? Why would we use excuses? Excuses to excuse ourselves from the for the ignorance of biblical knowledge and spiritual understanding. Excuses for our failure to grow in biblical knowledge and literacy, spiritual maturity. Excuses for not being teachers and those who disciple others. Are we satisfied 
with where we are. May God shake us up even today as the author to Hebrews had to shake up these Hebrew Christians. You see, the process of spiritual maturity and confidence in Christ, our only high priest, it's a, it's a long and challenging battle. It's a long, challenging instruction that will never be over. But the goal from day to day is to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To gradually move from a diet of milk to a diet of solid food. And we can't do so without the Scriptures. We must learn to mature in faith as those who, who possess the gift of discernment. In order to be encouraged and enriched, we need the engagement of our hearts and our lives with God's truth, His Word. You see, if this is to happen, I plead with you, dear congregation, to never stop feasting on the solid food of God's Word. And you say, I don't understand it all. I don't know what to do with it all in my life. Well, pray for His illuminating grace the grace of His Holy Spirit. And He will show you the glory of Jesus Christ, our perfect High Priest, and what that means for a sinner like you. Because He is compassionate. He comes alongside the ignorant and the wayward. And He offers Himself to you this morning to engage with you in your heart and in your mind that you would know Him. Amen. Lord, we acknowledge that so often we are dull of hearing. And we've heard the same truths, the elementary truths of Your Word again and again and again. Sometimes take them for granted. And yet can't even explain them in words to our neighbor. Lord, may we each be challenged not only to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word, to be teachers of your word, to live your word in truth. Lord, forgive us For we often are slow to understand, even as your disciples. And be patient with us, but lead us in the way everlasting that leads to eternal life. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.